everyone. It is time to head north. I am your host, Natasha Ryan, VP of Communications for the North Group, ex-news anchor, turned private security, now podcast host to kind of keep my foot in this in this wheelhouse. I'm happy to have my friend Stacia Rivera with us today. She is the Senior Director of Security Operations for Providence Swedish. Stacia, thank you for coming on with us today. Thank you for having me, Natasha. I'm excited. I know, me too. We could talk for hours, but we're gonna we're gonna try to limit this a little bit. Okay, so first of all, give the folks listening uh, a little bit about yourself, your bio, your background. Excellent. Well, background: um, graduated with the undergraduate from Central Washington University in safety and health management, and. From there, started in construction safety, and then in 2004, I was given the opportunity to be safety officer at our Swedish First Hill campus, and it kind of just grew from there. Um, took on emergency management, actually got to work closely with our security officers, and fell in love with the work that our security officers do day in and day out, and was given an opportunity to lead them. Um, absolutely love the work. I love working in healthcare. And again, excited for this opportunity and to share kind of some of the things doing within healthcare. And Stacia, like I love your story because you, it's like ground up and now you're in a management leadership role. So what kind of model do you think this serves as for a young woman coming into the security sector? You know, that is a great question. If there is one um, actually, it's one of my stretch goals for this year is to help guide, develop, and get more women in the security field. Uh, we actually, you know, within healthcare, we have the environment of care. And that's kind of like all the ancillary kind of support from facilities to safety, security, emergency management, environmental services, um, huge group of folks. We don't have within the safety, security, emergency management and facilities, we don't have a lot of women. And more and more women are getting into it. And it is awesome to see. And if that's one goal I have is to continue to develop to, to de develop women into that environment of care role. We Stacia, need them. I, I, we do. And I because they, you know, we offer different perspectives. Women think yep. differently than men. Um, so the question I always love to pose is like, let's hear your pitch for a woman that has never thought about oh. private security as an option. Oh, wow. Way to put me on the spot there. You know, <laughs> you know, security in the healthcare, you know, setting, it's more than what, you know, the traditional law enforcement or a military background, which is where a lot of our uh, current officers come from. And that is great. But there is so much more within healthcare where, you know, we're looking for folks that care about the mission, vision, and values, that compassion, that helping that patient from the time they walk in the door to the time that they leave. And I think that, you know, as a woman, you know, we're generally known for having that, you know, that compassion yeah. and that ability to connect. And, you know, again, not to overgeneralize, I think, but there's a spot for women within security and facilities and safety and emergency management. And it's a, it's a lot more open now. And there are so many more opportunities um, for women. And, you know, the, the partnership with, 
you know, our men counterparts, um, it's there, it's open and it's, it's time for women just to get into it, find that footing and just go. You know what? You just said something that like ping because people transitioning, specific women transitioning from uh, past military, past law enforcement careers. There is, you know, I always say the thing I love about this industry is it's filled with so many people that have that altruistic heart that want to protect, want to care for, want to serve. Right. So that is such when you say like the mission of healthcare and caring for others and that is such a wonderful transition piece that I don't think I ever thought about that should, that would be almost fluid for someone that's used to protecting and caring. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, I have, I have been able to witness, um, so many great events, um, that could have turned out, you know, not good for anyone involved, but for the security officer, that have that warm and open and inviting where they're just there to listen, they have, they have truly changed directions for folks that if they had left the organization, you know, as a patient, if they had left without that support, they may have encountered a completely different situation out on the streets that could have been, you know, could have had a negative outcome. But I've had officers, um, you know, help a distraught mom whose child was in the hospital who was yelling and screaming, but just being that ear for them, because you know, that mom or that dad, that parent is going through so much and they are reacting out of um, that pain. And so the officers taking that time and just listening, laying, you know, laying boundaries, but being supportive it has completely changed an outcome and it is amazing to see it, you know, to be able to see that and to know that, you know, that whether it's a visitor of a patient or that patient has a different perspective and that outcome is going to help their health in the long run. It's amazing. This is such a good, uh, good topic right now that we're in because I just wrote something um, about how, Security officers can provide security, but they can also provide so much more if they are aware of the circumstances, aware of who they're serving, aware of even who they're they're protecting their clients from. There is an opportunity to build relationships, rapport with the people around, and that just makes them so much more effective at their job. Yeah. I mean, is that something you talk with your staff about? Yeah, you know, again, great points. I think one of the one of the things that we've had to do over the last couple of years is, you know, there was all, there was this mindset where you're trained to become a security officer, right? You you get the uniform, you know the layout of the building, you know how to run the camera system, you know, whatever those devices that are at your fingertips. But there's more to that, you know, de-escalation training. You know, workplace violence is an epidemic across our country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be able to have de-escalation skill set and, you know, whichever model you're using for de-escalation, there are there are many out there. I think one of the things that we have done within, you know, Providence Swedish is to add that trauma-informed care, you know, trying to understand 
you know, a person is coming into our organ, a, a patient's coming into our organization, they have, they have things that have happened to them in their past and that's coming with them and that have involved trauma. And so trying to understand trauma to be able to um, make sure that how we're approaching a patient and knowing that we can't change what had happened to them, but we, we, uh, we can understand it at the moment and make sure that we are doing something with that in mind so that it doesn't cause additional trauma. And, you know, one of the, some of the work that we've done around workplace violence is prevention is recognizing that, you know, the workplace violence is a symptom of something else, right? Whether right. it's a behavioral issue, whether it's a, um, you know, again, whatever trauma they've experienced outside they're bringing in, that, that lash out, that violence is a symptom. So what are we doing to make sure that that patient has all of the resources they need to get care, to get better? And, you know, if we can put in those mitigations, you know, there's lots of mitigations out there, but if we can at least recognize, you know, what are those symptoms and what can we do to alleviate those symptoms? You know, our goal is to see less. And, yeah. you know, I think the work that, um, you know, that we're doing that my workplace violence prevention team is doing, it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to say groundbreaking, but I think it's a different, we're going a different direction and we're diving deeper. And I think root that's what pause, we have to do. Pause. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, do you think more healthcare systems are going to follow suit and, and are actually engaging in more training, more de-escalation techniques. Do you, do you see this as a trend right now in healthcare? A absolutely. Across, across the country, um, hospital systems are putting this, it's a priority. I mean, I know it's a priority for us. If you're, you know, you're looking at literature, it's a priority for hospital systems across. Uh, I know that there are systems back East that have put in full page, uh, ads in newspapers laying out groundworks. If you're going to come into our organization and receive care, you are not going to harm our caregivers, our staff, right? These are our expectations. And, and that's great. So yes, there's a focus on it. And I think for us with it, that are, you know, supporting our security departments, our security services, it's making sure we're sharing you know, because we're all learning different things and it's making sure we have a place to share that in not looking at this as proprietary. You know, we case in point, just based on this last year of data that we've been collecting, the, the model of de-escalation that we are using with the trauma-informed care is if we are able to get our caregivers to the highest level of training, they are 400 times less likely to get injured in a workplace violence event. Now, that's something that needs to be shared. That shouldn't be proprietary because at right. the end of the day, our goal is for all healthcare workers to, to be safe. And, you know, so finding those networks, you know, that you can share that information. I'm, you know, I'm in talks and communicating best practices with peers, you know, from Utah and other places. And I think that's what there, you know, that's what we have to continue to, to stress. Are you, I love the sharing of information. Yeah. 
share, share knowledge, share, 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 right? It helps protect all of us. Are Absolutely. you, are you surprised at the uptick of workplace violence incidents we're seeing? Like it's no, it's no secret. Healthcare is in the top five industries that are targeted with workplace violence. So are you surprised at the amount of incidents we're seeing, or do you think that it has been coming to a boiling point and, and now it's, and everyone's starting to realize like the, how it's handled and how it's reported has to change? You know, I, I think it's a both and. I don't know, uh, you know, we have Washington, Washington states had laws for a better part of a decade around making sure you have a workplace violence prevention plan. There's There have been more laws over the last couple of years, putting a little bit more teeth into that and making sure that you have a plan. Um, you know, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know California is very, very prescriptive with their laws and what they are requiring hospitals to do. So I think it, it's not a surprise that we're having more events. And I think it would be an interesting look to see, are we getting better at reporting? Are we encouraging more reports to be filed so we see an increase? Or, or is it really a symptom of what's going on within the world, right? And how, you know, events that are happening across our country are also finding their way into the hospital, right? I mean, hospitals yeah. are small cities. And, you know, when we carry, you know, when we have our day-to-day -day life, that doesn't just stop at the hospital entrance, you know, whether it's emergency department or the main, um, the main entrance that comes with them comes. And we have to be able to, again, help support in a, you know, a therapeutic environment um, for our patients to feel they're getting that support and that they can leave some of that there and still get that support. But then it's recognizing it's not just our patients, it's our, it's our staff, it's our caregivers that are also living out there and bringing things into the environment. And how do we continue to support them? So I guess to answer, to answer the question, I guess, you know, not quite sure you know, if the, we're looking at the data as it stands now, it, there's a significant increase, right? The pandemic probably didn't help that, you know, again, the what's going on out there in our world is not helping it. So probably an increase, but I would also say there's better data gathering as well. You brought up reporting. How do you enable your staff to report behavioral red flags or can they recognize that? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you enable your, you know, patients to, to report more? Yeah. You know, some of the work that we've been doing around policies uh, in support of reducing workplace violence, um, we actually have, you know, within our de-escalation model, we have a whole list of pre-attack indicators. So training our caregivers to recognize those pre-attack yep. and, and dealing with those at that point before it becomes a full-on workplace violence event. You know, we've had some success in that. Um, we really have to reduce the burden of reporting for our clinical caregivers. They are doing so much. You know, they have to document highly regulated field, right? They have to document everything. So anything that we can do to reduce that burden, we want them to report it. We've started using QR codes um, where 
um, they can quickly with their phone take a picture of that QR code and get a, I think it's a seven question web form where they can throw in some basic information. And then someone from our workplace violence prevention team gets in touch with them to get the additional data, make sure that they have the resources, whether it's from the employee assistance program, um, you know, the, if they were injured, they got the workers comp injury form, but we are, we're, you know, we're navigating with them. They aren't alone. We're just not saying, well, you experience this, go find everything that you need to do and report it. We are, our goal is to really be with them side by side and navigate with them to make sure that all the reporting mechanisms are done. And I think that is something that we're going to have to um, get better at because not only is it, it's getting us the data that we need to uh, create the programs and find the mitigations. But I think most importantly, it is showing our caregivers, our staff, that we care, we want to do something to make their work environment safer, and we're going to, right? This, I mean, this yeah. is us living that promise that we're here with you. We want you to have a safe environment to work in. We're sitting here four months into 2023. Um, from your perspective, what is the biggest security challenge on your plate right now? You know, I think it's a two things that are, you know, kind of keeping me up at night and, you know, kind of working through it's how do we embrace technology? How do we find funding for all the great technology that's out there that can help us? And also, how do we keep our security, you know, if we're specifically talking security, how do we keep our security caregivers engaged and feeling supported? Because they are at the, you know, we, we're talking about workplace violence. You know, it's not just the clinical person by themselves. Security is right there with them, right? They are arm in arm dealing with this. So if I have a clinical caregiver that's been injured, more than likely, I have a security person that's been injured as well. And, you know, we there are there are some really great programs out there for supporting our clinical caregivers. We have to be just as good in offering those supporting mechanisms for our security officers, as well as making sure that we're breaking down those that that stigma of they need support as well. And what does that look like? Um, you know, because keeping and retaining security officers is it's 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 not easy. Yeah. And, you know, we are all <laughs> all the hospitals, I would just say within, you know, Pill Hill, you know, that we call it Capitol Hill hospitals within the state up and down the I-5 corridor. We're all going after the same workforce. And, you know, we have to continue. Um, that's our challenge. I mean, that's my challenge with my team is we have to retain officers and we have to make sure that they're getting the support that they need. That is a challenge. I mean, that's industry-wide, right? Not yeah. just in the healthcare Absolutely. industry. Um, you brought up like the mental health of the security officers. I mean, when you think about what they see day in and day out, yeah. life and yeah. death, you know, people at their most traumatized, vulnerable state of mind, that's who they're interacting with. Um, 
do you see security officers because of this uptick of violence against against uh, employees in your field and industry? Um, do you see security officers leaving because they are afraid to come to work? We've had we've definitely have seen that. I, I wouldn't say we've had an uptick. I think one of the things that um, we've had to get really good at is being completely transparent with what they are going to face within healthcare security. Um, you know, we, we've had an individual that, you know, we thought we did a good job of explaining. And then within a couple of hours being on shift, they were like, I'm out, right? This is, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. And we have had to be really transparent, really blunt saying this, this is the work. It's not easy, but there is support. Um, we're going to make sure you have the resources. Uh, we're going to make sure that you're trained in de-escalation. We're going to make sure you have um, the tools that you need to respond. Um, so, but we, it's, um, it's definitely impactful. You know, they, again, that's, that meant supporting, making sure that the officers feel supported at every level is critical. It's, I just wrote a post on LinkedIn about, uh, meeting up with a former colleague and like staying friends and, you know, yeah. working in environments where you feel supported and connected and how important that is. Um, you know, you are someone that has the ability to foster that kind of environment for your employees. And you're also the person that helps hire some of those employees. So what are you looking for um, in your in your typical security guard? Like what are some non-negotiables they have to have? You know, from my perspective, they, a security officer has to understand the bigger picture. Again, we can, you can train someone to use the tools that we have at our fingertips, whether it's handcuffs, you know, those physical tools, you can, yes. those are all skills you can train. Yes. You know, we're looking, we are looking for someone that has a, you know, a customer service background. Some of our best security officers didn't have any formal security training, but they came from a customer service background. And then they, they were able to pick up those additional skills and they were, they were amazing. Um, I would say, you know, right now we, I would say the pan, we had some struggles within the pandemic coming out of the pandemic of getting getting officers in the door. Everybody had security. They were using them as entry, entry control. Yeah. And that yeah. really depleted, yeah. you know, our, our workforce resources. And now, you know, I think as things have kind of mellowed out and opened back up is we're starting to see an increase in the number of people that are applying for these roles. So we're able to have additional conversation. It's not just, you know, at one point it felt like, oh my gosh, I just need a warm body. And that's not what we want. Right. And, you know, being able to find someone that again, has that nurturing, has that ability to listen to what is being said and then can communicate. Those are, those are crucial. Um, I love everything you've said, everything you're doing. Fantastic. <laughs> Teaching your people pins. I mean, it's all great. Um, so I kind of want to, I want to shift back now to women in security. So because yeah, I know yeah. you are very involved in this, in this field. Uh, I, I love it. I, I have a heavy hand sometimes in it. Um, 
And I guess I'm interested in you've been in security for how long? Remind me. So I've been in my in my role or some areas of my role for about 19 years. And so I would say the last 10 years I've been heavily involved with insecurity. Okay. So you've That's gotten right. to see years of progression or lack thereof, whatever your perspective is. And that's what I'm curious to hear. Like, how do you sit now as a female leader in the security realm versus how you felt even 10 years ago? Yeah, I would say 10 years ago, um, I did not know another woman in security um, at all. And, and now, uh, you know, I have some strong peers uh, I mean, just I'm blessed within the Providence Swedish uh, realm to be to work with some strong women in the physical security security roles. And I, I think it's it, it's growing as more, you know, as you know, what I've seen is, um, you know, women that have gotten out of those, you know, law enforcement roles, whether, you know, FBI or, you know, something else where they're looking, you know, they're done with that, but they're look, they still want to be in the workforce. And I yeah. see really great and strong women come to the healthcare security from that aspect. And, you know, I'm blessed to call them friends. I'm blessed to be able to, you know, bounce ideas off of them. Again, more are needed. And I, I think that's where we just keep keep that door open. And also not just, you know, those parallel uh, or the, I, I guess, parallel job where I've, I've come from being, you know, in law enforcement as a, you know, whatever role you're in to now being a security director or security manager. But it's really on all of us, male, female, like all of us to grow women from security officers into those leadership roles and getting, and again, opening the door to, to, to women in security as, you know, getting the door and then continuing to grow them up through that leadership. And if a man is listening to this podcast yeah. and goes like, yeah, okay, I, I'm on board. I want to be, um, I don't know if the term ally is appropriate, yeah, but yeah. you know what I, I, you know, I don't want to use that, but you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, and they go, well, but how do I do that? Like I have all men in my office. I have an all male guard force. Like how do I actively make women a part of our ecosystem? What advice would you give? You know, I, I think there are areas where I can do better as well. And I want to be very clear, you know, with those listening and, you know, that may have questions. I don't think, you know, I think re recognizing that you can do better is, you know, is half the battle. Um, and then making sure that you're going above and beyond that. Is your, are you creating an inviting, I guess, environment? You know, one of the things that we recognized just, you know, recently is we had a, um, you know, our locker room. It was, you know, both male, female. Right. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't separated. And, you know, we had a couple of our, you know, female officers that said, you know, I kind of like a separate locker space. And, you know, well, why didn't we think of that? Right. Because there was a there was a while where I think we had one, you know, one, maybe two female officers. And, you know, it was just like, well, we don't have a lot of space, but that's not on them. 
And that's on us to make sure that we're advocating to have the right space. So I would say for us within leadership, it's looking at our space and going, is this inviting? You know, if I'm interviewing, um, you know, a female and she's looking at this and going, you know, wow, you know, is there a space for me here? You know, it's look, here's this space that we've identified. Here's, again, having that warm and inviting um I guess that feel to where it's not like, well, we're going to have to create this special space for you. It's already there. Right. It, it, uh, sorry, it triggered a moment where I just thought back to broadcasting where my college professor was like, she was the first female reporter um, for one of the, the teams, the professional sports teams. And she's like, you know, the men had a bathroom right there on press box level. I had to walk four floors down. And it just, it triggered that, you know, so to see the progression, but still recognizing there's, there's more to come, there's more to go, uh, is, is crucial to progression, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I, I think it's, it's not just stopping at, you know, getting, you know, getting women into these, into these roles. It's us being open from a complete DI perspective right? You know, from the diversity, equity, inclusion. And, you know, we may, case in point, my team went through some really great DEI training just within the last month, where, you know, taking, walking through this process, we realized like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're inclusive, right? We want to make sure that we have a diverse workforce, and then have, after having some really open and honest conversation, it's like, but are we doing everything we can to make it inviting? Are we yeah. doing everything we can? And again, having that recognition and going beyond just saying, of course, we should be diverse. Right. And I, you know, but it's where you where are you putting, you know, feet to the pavement, right? And actually making it more diverse, making it uh, more open to to everyone that wants to be in this role, because there is a spot for everyone. And I think that's the, you know, for me, when we look at healthcare, could you have a more, I mean, you are caring for an entire community that is so diverse. So having a space for, you know, that diversity within your teams, that's just going to help and grow, you know, your role within the organization that you're serving. You said something earlier that I was like, that is genius. You said hospitals are little cities. Hospitals are little cities. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So it is very true. And you know, everything that occurs in our cities that we live in is a, really <laughs> occurring within the hospitals. And, you know, it's it's a, its own micro city. I guess that makes you a city council member. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm teasing. Do you have any final thoughts? You know, I, 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 want, I want to thank you for, one, asking me to do this. This is definitely not a, um, it's not a comfort area for me, but I, I love work that are, and I appreciate the work that our security officers do day in and day out, not just at my organization, but across this entire, you know, Washington, the entire country. 
and, you know, job well done to all of them out there. And, you know, if anybody's watching this from healthcare leadership, you know, go and seek out your security team, you know, walk a, you know, walk a unit in their shoes, get to know your teams because they are truly there to keep you, your caregivers, the visitors, the patients all safe and, you know, get out there and, and meet those officers because again, the work that they do, um, it's not easy and it is, it's hard, but they do a good job at it. So kudos to all of the security teams out there. Great way to end it. Stacia, thank you so much for your time. And to all of you, if you want to hear more podcast episodes, just visit tngdefense.com. And until next time, have a great day. Thank you.